Our New Testament reading comes from Romans chapter 9 and 10, and this passage serves as today's sermon text. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, that second reading from Romans chapter 9. And we're, we're kind of circling back around into the heart of Paul's letters to the followers of Jesus in the first century city of Rome to remind ourselves once again of the powerful and the irreducible truth that we are made right with God by His grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone. So as Pastor Tig was developing this sermon series, he wrote in the introductory paragraph about today's worship, which was, was sent out via email earlier this week, have you ever felt like you were on the outside looking in? When I read that, it made me think of an essay, a lecture actually, that was delivered by C.S. Lewis at King's College, London in 1944. The title of his lecture was The Inner Ring. So I need you to imagine for a moment a full room of of aspiring young university students listening to Lewis describe a powerful phenomenon that is still very much alive today. And that phenomenon is the pervasive human desire, the driving need to be in, to be included, to be counted, to be recognized as as part of an ever-elusive inner ring you know, that, that circle of people, those who are seen as the, as the important people, the right people, the people in the know, the critical players in this or that situation. And so Lewis writes these words, quote, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, One of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. 
You all remember how this went at school, don't you? I mean, there were the cool kids, there were the the smart crowd, there's the arts, the music, the athletic bunch, to name a few of the socially acceptable rings, while recognizing, of course, that there are some other kinds of rings frowned upon by adults, at least, maybe for good reason, maybe for not. But the same phenomenon is at work at your place of employment. It's out there in the community. It is even here at church. To find your way in to this board or to that committee or for this function has very powerful pull. Now, Lewis argues that the existence of these inner rings is not a bad thing in and of itself. In fact, he says that we actually need them and if we're ever going to get anything done... And it is actually inside of them where close personal relationships, friendships are developed. The problem, he says, quote, is our longing to enter them, our anguish when we are excluded from them, and the kind of pleasure that we feel when we get in. He goes on to say, We hope, no doubt, for tangible profits from every inner ring that we penetrate. Power, money, liberty to break the rules, avoidance of routine duties, evasion of discipline, but all of these would not satisfy us if we did not get, in addition, the delicious sense of secret intimacy." So I'd like to borrow that idea, this human desire, this longing to gain admittance into an inner ring and use it to explore our text and see once again what we can learn about ourselves and more importantly about God and his love for us in Christ Jesus. Look, the ultimate and very real human need to be in, to be accepted, to belong, actually goes all the way back to the very beginning when we were created to be in the real presence, in the face-to-face intimate presence of God. And I would submit to you this morning that every human being, whether they know it or not, by virtue of our design, wants no longs to be in with God. And the problem arises with how we seek to enter. God's plan from the very beginning was that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, he would rescue and restore all things, that is the entire creation, including humanity, to dwell permanently in his presence. God's plan was that through Israel... He would reveal himself to the world as the ultimate solution to everything that has gone wrong. And so he chose Abraham 
a man with no resume, no credentials, as good as dead, with no offspring, and promised him that through one of his descendants, the Messiah would come and make the world right. Rescuing Abraham's descendants from slavery in Egypt, God gave them his law and a stunningly beautiful worship life where he would make himself visibly and tangibly present in their midst. First in the tabernacle as they wandered in the wilderness and then in the temple in Jerusalem, he would bless them so profusely that they would be an object of envy for all the world to see. The nations would look and they would see the beauty of how these people worked together. How they formed a society where justice for all reigned, especially for the most vulnerable, the widow and the orphan. A society where beauty flourished in art and in music and in literature and in architecture. Jerusalem, their capital city, would be a city set on a hill as a beacon of what being in God's presence can look like. But listen carefully. Because Israel was never the end of the plan. Never, ever was it God's intention to create a system by which Israel, by their obedience, would set an example of how everybody could work their own way into God's presence. No, Israel was indeed a key part of executing the Messiah plan. But rather than cherishing their role, rather than living out their calling, they did, they did what fallen human beings always do. They took God's good gifts, they took God's rich blessings, and they used them as the evidence that they alone had gotten in with God, and the rest of the world was out. Look, if you turn religion into a system by which you can work your way in with God, you will create self-righteous hypocrites that wind up driving away from God rather than drawing people in with God. Look, we see this all over so-called Christianity today. Religious people who believe themselves to be in with God, becoming almost completely blind to their own sin and developing smug, condescending attitudes toward others. But I don't want you to be fooled into thinking that this is just a religious problem here within Christianity and that if we could just get rid of religion, it would fix all of the problems because it turns out that all human beings are inherently religious. They are all seeking in their own way to find their way in to something that will satisfy the longings of their heart to feel happy and to feel safe. So 
pursue the religion of pop culture. Whatever, whatever's in vogue in our little moment in time. And you will find yourself turning into a bleeding heart do-gooder who believes the myth of progressivism, that is, that the world will be a better place if we just throw enough money at education and opportunity for all. Or you will produce hard-hearted, pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, individualists, who also believe in progressivism just in the opposite way that the world will get better when we have bullied all those people into behaving better. And if you want to see divisive chaos, mix self-righteous religion with pop culture. Of course... These are stereotypical exaggerations for the purpose of making a point. Why? Look, the solution to finding, the solution to finding our way in with God is not religion or the latest and greatest social political theory of pop culture. God's plan from the very beginning was to do something so completely unexpected that all people, that every human being would stumble and they would fall over it and they would finally be broken to pieces in their sinful desire to try and get in by their own merit, by their own worthiness. Immediately after Adam and Eve turned away from God in the garden, in fact, it happened even before that, God already had a plan to rescue and to restore, to bring his creation fully and permanently into his presence. And that plan from the very beginning was always by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. You see, sometimes I think that we have begun to believe that the Old Testament with that long and twisted story of Israel was God's first and failed attempt to get humanity in with him through all of its rules and regulations and that Jesus is some sort of a backup plan. No, God set the Jesus plan in motion before he even created the world. Jesus is the stumbling block to anyone who tries to hold on to their effort to be in with God. Now look, this isn't just theoretical to Paul. You can feel his own heart breaking for his own family. Perhaps his, his very own parents, his siblings, his aunts, his uncles, his classmates, the people that he grew up with. And he says being ignorant of God's perfect faithfulness to his promise to send a Messiah to restore and rescue the whole world by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. They tried to make their own way in with God. Because this is what fallen human nature does. It will even take the things of God 
and twist them into the things that we do to establish our own way in. So, I mean, what do we look to? What do we sometimes look to as the evidence that we are actually in? I read my Bible, I do my devotions, I pray daily, I go to church, I give money generously, I volunteer my time at the church and in the community, I work hard and I pay my own way, I oppose abortion, I believe in the biblical definitions of gender and marriage. And lo and behold, none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but just like Israel, they easily become those things which we imagine will establish us in with God. (laughs) Rather than being expressions of what being in by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone looks like. Look, Paul had been zealous for God without knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of God's promise to rescue and restore the whole world through Israel. And that zeal turned him into an angry and a violent person. As one commentator put it, zeal without knowledge is fanaticism. And fanatics who say, don't commuse me with the facts. (laughs) And besides, all your facts are fake news. Zeal without knowledge of Jesus can lead it to terrorism and the slaughter of innocent people. Self-righteous religion cannot get us in with God. Pop culture is a miserable substitute for God. And pop culture mixed with self-righteous religion can produce zeal that becomes fanatical. So are we simply out? But God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone is the end. It is the end of trying to get in with God by your own effort. Someone wiser than me has said, all you need is nothing. And unfortunately, this nothing can be very hard to come by. It requires surrender, and and that's not something any of us are very good at. But the way in with God is open, new to us every day. (laughs) There's an old story about a young pastor whose first sermon was really great. And the congregation was very pleased. And then he preached the same sermon again four weeks in a row. And they got concerned and they sent the elders and they asked him, what's up? And the pastor was a little bit surprised, taken aback, and said, well, you haven't done any of the things I preached on in that sermon. Why should we move on? So here it is again, my people. The Holy Spirit is coming to you in the words of this sermon. 
every time that you read your Bible or a devotion or attend a Bible study to bring you in with God by faith alone, in Jesus alone. The Holy Spirit is there every time that you see and taste and touch and hear or smell water and you remember your baptism. Every time you eat and drink the bread and the wine of this meal and receive Jesus' true body and blood into yourself. Every time that you have a conversation about your faith with a fellow follower of Jesus, it is opening the way in with God by faith alone in Jesus alone. And you know what that will produce? Zeal. Zeal with the knowledge of God in your awakened heart will give you the strength and the courage to trust in Jesus even and especially when your life is not going the way you think it should. Zeal with the knowledge of Jesus in your awakened heart will give you self-control and a discipline to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, to obey the law. Not out of fear. Not as a way of trying to work your own way in with God, but out of sheer joy and gratitude that you are already in, by faith alone, in Jesus alone. Zeal with the knowledge of Jesus in your awakened heart will make it almost impossible for you to keep your mouth shut this week about God's love and his plan to make the whole world right, right now through faith in Jesus until he comes again to make it right permanently. The deepest longing of the human heart to be in with God is satisfied in Jesus so that you can leave here and you can go live that life of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal that we love to talk about. Here's your weekly awakening question for this week. Since by faith you are safe within this inner circle of God's family, how, how might you consider sacrificing for another this week? You're in. You're in with God through faith alone in Jesus alone. How are you going to live that out this week? In Jesus' name, amen.